On today's episode, we discuss our favorite protocols, talk about something a little taboo, and munch our way through the plastic problem. All that and more coming up. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Our Science. I'm your host, as always, Alan Collier, and I'm joined today by Ian Black. Hello. And Katie Ellsworth. Hi. If you haven't heard the show before, what we do here is we take the top three science papers from Reddit, and we're going to break them down, get past the headlines, and tell you what's really going on, and hopefully have some fun doing it. This is a great little entry point into keeping up to date with science. Do you have brand new mics? Yes, I have a shiny mic. So if they sound better, then you're welcome. If they sound worse... uh, I take take all the credit for this, because I was the one who was so emphatically pro-new mics for everyone. Um, and then I proceeded to not buy a mic and instead just use the ones that... Uh, yeah, you're the have. only one that didn't get a new mic. <laughs> Katie's mooching. Uh-huh. This is what happens when you live with a bunch of musicians. Our first paper this episode comes from Bloomberg. Research shows skies above the southern hemisphere have recovered since 1987 tree banned chemicals that ate away the atmosphere's protective layer. Over the last 15 years, the ozone hole shrunk by about 20%, which scientists credited to the 1987 Montreal Protocol. I love the Montreal Protocol. Big fan. One of my favorite protocols, I would say. Easily easily top 10 of of the protocols. Yeah, welcome to Watch Mojo's top 10 protocols. Number one, <laughs> Montreal Protocol. Please explain to me uh, what the Montreal Protocol is, because I'm assuming it's some sort of, like... Protocol? Geneva Convention. <laughs> That's a convention. This is a protocol. Very yeah, yeah, different. It, Common it, mistake, come on, come very on, different. Come on, keep up. Yeah. Okay, it's the Sarkovia Accords. I don't know. No, those are Accords. Oh, those are Accords. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. Tell me I what like they are. We, I like that we we actually can't think of three real life examples, so we had to go to fake ones right away. Yeah. <laughs> the Montreal Protocol was in 1987, as I mentioned twice in the title. Uh, 1987 Treaty, it is sort of the shining example of successful environmental policy and successful science policy. So we're going to have to do some like background history on this. This is, I'm trying to, going to try to make this not boring, but it's going to be hard. Good luck. Yeah. And so don't fuck it up. There is a layer around, thanks Katie. There's a layer around the earth of ozone. Ozone is three oxygen molecules all combined to one instead of the regular two oxygen that you can find in your local supermarket. Fun sidebar. I had a grade 10 science teacher who tried to argue that ozone was an element. Bold. Wrong, but yep. bold. <laughs> Aggressively wrong. So there's a layer of ozone around the Earth, and this layer is very important because it protects all of us from radiation from the sun. That was bad radiation. Like, not in the you're going to get a sunburn type of radiation, but your body will be split apart and you'll die immediately type radiation. I mean, you do also get sunburn first, though. Yes, for a brief millisecond, you'll have a sunburn and then you'll die. You get sunburn and then sin cancer and then death. Yeah, and that all happens about five seconds. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> it's a very quick... Out, oof, dead... <laughs> So it's a very important layer. And back in the 80s, with the use of fridges and aerosol containers, what I always think of as the main source of what are known as CFCs, chlorofluorocarbons. Humans start producing a bunch of CFCs. The CFCs go up and they destroy the ozone layer. And that's bad because we could all die. True. The Montreal Protocol is a bunch of countries, world leaders, scientists getting together and saying, this is bad. We need to stop it. And then shockingly, they actually do stop it. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's a surprise Yeah, that's the key in this, is that we stopped producing CFCs. The ozone layer is now back to, it's essentially not normal, but a lot better than it was, and it's not really a serious cause for concern right now, and everybody's happy. There's no longer a giant gaping hole over Australia. 
Because I remember learning about this in high school. 100%. This was like presented as the shining example of of our parents' generation's kind of like global warming. Yeah, yeah. but at the same time, I do remember like in high school. And why you can't why you can't buy hairspray anymore. Oh, yeah. We learned about this in high school, but I do remember that like when we were learning about this in high school, at least a decade ago for two of us longer for yeah, you. Yeah, we're old. Um, there wasn't as much information about it actually having been fixed yet yeah i would it was sort of like it was fixing because there's a bit of a lag like we have to stop the chemicals being produced and then we have to wait for that reaction to actually stop happening and to burn out all the stuff that's already up there yeah like like they said in in the article they're like over the past 15 years which is you know a significantly shorter period of time than how long ago the montreal treaty accord protocol protocol Protocol. there you go forgot it already uh montreal (laughs) protocol happened we had a whole bit on it it's the only protocol we could remember yeah there's no other protocols what the fuck a protocol is because who knows it's this um anyways okay that was it (laughs) oh that's all you had to say okay (laughs) yeah no my the anyways the anyways was to pass the mic off back to you folks oh okay something did you have something you wanted to say no ian's not allowed to talk shut the fuck <laughs> up <laughs> i swear i haven't i haven't spoken very much at all yet and i find that to be ridiculous what i found kind of interesting about this paper is is more so um the fact that it was published in nature oh was it mm. yeah yeah, yeah i noticed published that. In nature which is like for those who don't know uh one of the most one of the more prestigious or certainly most impactful uh, yeah. journals next to nature and science are kind of like the the big, the big boys and so i think this is, that's interesting that this got published there and i think that's that's kind of exciting because while this is very much a, a scientific study and they do kind of they do do some data analysis it's also very much uh, an assessment of the positive results of good science communication yeah and so, so before we get too, too much into that, correct me if I'm wrong, but this study is essentially confirming that the changes we're seeing in the ozone hole and the fact that it's getting better is connected to the Montreal Protocol and not just a random chance. So there's a little bit of a crossing your T's, dotting your eyes here, where I, I had always assumed that we already knew this. Now this is like officially confirming it, which is important to do, especially in science. Like you do this, this type of work to make sure of everything and to be confident in results. But yeah, it's, it's like it wasn't... It was something I'd already taken for granted. Yeah. That's it's it's interesting because it's not like a it's not a groundbreaking study in terms of like this is news to us. It's more a very good way to officially confirm that the specific protocols had an actual measurable effect on yeah. the environment. One of the questions that I've I've seen come up a lot just sort of anytime this is talked about the particular protocol is trying to figure out why this worked so well and nothing else we do does. <laughs> so feel free to answer, feel free to answer that you too. Cause I got, I got nothing. Uh, was Pierre Elliott Trudeau involved? Uh, 87. I didn't think, I thought it was Mulroney, which is even remember. more impressive. Yeah. It could, it could very well be that like looking at the examples of things that, the chemical they're concerned with cfc's is in stuff like personal care aerosol sprays those like that's first of all a fashion thing right and that fashion died 
other things like insulating materials, pervasive refrigeration. I think we've just developed better technology and aren't seeing the use of this product as much. Because this isn't the this isn't the first time. Like saying that this is the only time we've had an instance where something like this has worked is not actually accurate. Look at like uh, BPA, for example. That's true. I'm I'm that's true. I'm being I'm being negative more than I need yeah. to. But uh, yeah, Alan. <laughs> all right. There is an argument to be made that the reason we have these new technologies is because all the companies making CFCs were forced to change to something else. So it it was an example of of. Political leaders, scientific leaders, and corporate leaders coming together to agree on something and make changes. I do think it's really important to point out, especially considering our current issues with climate change, when they look at like when they talk about some of the data, um, like what this depletion or these holes in the ozone layer was causing. It's things like you know a seven degrees Celsius uh, cooling through the nineteen nineties and a two degrees of latitude movement of the southern jet stream closer to the South Pole. All of these these two things seem like really minor problems. But then you look at what it resulted in, which was like, you know, Drought. Uh, increased dryness in Tasmania and New Zealand, changes to southern ocean temperature currents, salinity levels. Um, like, I think this is a really good example or demonstration of like how just a couple of degrees celsius change in the global temperature can really have massive impacts which true i feel like it's something most people kind of understand at this point but for a long time that was a sticking point where people are just saying oh it's only like a couple of degrees celsius who cares well no actually those couple of degrees celsius can really cause some massive shifts yeah they can fuck shit up i just want to i just want to say that the ozone layer is a separate issue from climate change yes and the only reason i'm bringing that up is because i know a lot of people wrongly link those two as being the same thing like i thought we already dealt with climate change with the ozone layer it's like no those are two very different things yes the ozone layer was a different issue that was that was localized more to the southern hemisphere of the world um yeah and and, and the reactions involved and the science involved were very different than what we're seeing now just for the responses the responses were arguably much easier because phasing out personal care aerosol sprays is much uh, less difficult than phasing out uh, all of fossil fuel use. That's yes. true. It's a it's a smaller, easier to target problem, I think, and with yes. less well, giant shifts. Relatively smaller, yes. It's yes, yeah, small, relatively problem, smaller. It, relatively it wasn't smaller. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. small in general. But the one thing I was going to say is that I do remember, like when we were learning about this in school, a big thing that was linked to it was uh, increased rates of skin cancer in Australia. Because they don't have enough things trying to kill them down there. What have you what have you two been up to this week? I dethistled my lawn. Oh. Because <laughs> we're all we're all stuck inside, just like everyone else. We're we're recording this on what's the date today? We're recording this on April 8th, 2020. So hopefully this is a, a funny reminder of what life was like back in the days of a pandemic and not like the last free signal going out before the end of the world. Please. This by the time this airs, we will still be inside doing nothing. Hopefully, you're listening to this like three years from now, laughing at us. I've been, I've just been, I've just been playing video games, man. Yeah, yeah. same. I finally beat Pokemon Shield. Oh I, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm talking about real video games, like like Animal Crossing. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> what is? 
Katie, what do you, what do you, I've never played Animal Crossing. I've never experienced Animal Crossing. What do you do in Animal Crossing? Do Animal you just... Crossing is literally do everything that you cannot do right now. It's like go outside and garden for 10 hours. Why is that? How has this become an incredibly popular game series? I don't understand. I'm not against it. I just don't understand it. I think it's just really cathartic. And it's also really relaxing, hypothetically. It's super cute. And like the animations are really pleasant. And it's like. Also, there's a lot of customizability in this one, as far as I can tell. It also came out at like the perfect time. Yeah. It was designed to be like, go visit your friend's island and hang out with them and trade with them. And Yeah, they really lucked out with the global pandemic. I have been going I have been going back in time and I am going through all the old Valve games. Half-Life? Is that because Half-Life Alex is out and you're sad that you can't play it? Well, I had never played the original Half-Life games. Oh. So this is my this is the my first experience with them. The invention of the physics engine. I yeah. played the original Half-Life game most nice. of the way through until my computer died and it was no longer free on Steam and then I actually caved in and bought Orange Box oh. and got uh, all the Half-Lifes and uh, games I already had. There's a cool. remastered version that was like fan made, eh? Yeah, but I don't same with it. I want to see. I want to get in like its classic form. Yeah, I've been so, kind of uh, feeling like going back and playing Portal again. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm t- I'm getting my mom to play Portal. Portal's nice. a great game. It is. Yeah, Portal is Portal's great. Portal one and two are great. Portal is the reason that I got Steam. I pretty soon. I, I imagine they must be almost done. Episode three. Oh yeah, any second. Half Life Three's got to be coming down the pipe. Any second. Now. <laughs> any day now. Just wait for that announcement. Our second paper this episode comes from SciPost. Most parents do not successfully transmit their political values to their children, according to new research, which found education appears to make children more likely to reject whatever that they believe their parents to be. That is how it's worded: to reject whatever that they believe their parents to be, which I guess is right. It is. You just read it really awkwardly. What you know, but what you just said and how you addressed it is exactly my problem with the way this article is written. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's technically correct, but you read it and you go, this is not written in the in a way that most easily communicates the information. It's written in a way that makes you have to sit and think about the sentences for like a, lo- a while. Yeah. You're not so wrong. I'm just- I'm just going to break in quickly and say that for those who are fairly new to this podcast and haven't heard us too much, we all come from science communication backgrounds. We all have masters in science communication. This is what we know. This is what we were trained in. So this isn't officially a science communication podcast, but it's oftentimes the lens we take going into these. It's, It's where we come from, so it's what we look for. And this is a perfect example of one where we are, for a lot of it, going to talk about how this is communicated in the article because we're not huge fans. Well, I do think it's worth talking about what the article actually discusses. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The, the information that they convey, when they convey it, is super cool. Yeah, but there's also a, they could have communicated this better. They could have given this so much better. <laughs> oh but it's God. still super cool. I wish everyone had seen the like massive head roll that Ian did while he said that. <laughs> yeah. He just went limp in the neck. Yep. Really enjoyed that. <laughs> We should mention that this is this is on the website SciPost, which I don't think is designed to be like a layman. Like I think this is is, is and correct me if I'm wrong. Is this not designed for like like their audience isn't their, their audience isn't someone who's never looked at politics or psychology before in their entire life. Their audience is people who are like really in on this research. In I believe so. I don't know so, but I believe so. I think we've only had if we've had SciPost before, it has not been very much. First of all, the vast majority of this article is just straight quotes from uh someone uh it's from one of the authors pete hatemi 
Yeah, it's from the study author. And, and I mean, like, there are 16 paragraphs and 10 of them are all quotations. Okay. I like that you counted. Which is not necessarily bad, well, but it's, it's a... It's not necessarily bad, it's just... <laughs> it's all quotes from one person. There's also a ton of jargon in this. There is so much jargon. Which that... I think I know what they're talking about for the most part, but I'm assuming things. I don't actually know them. There's There's a lot of things like... Parent-child correlation, parent-to-child transmission, parent-child dyads. I mean, that just means pairs, but... I know, but why not just say pairs? Because that's not the quote. No, that wasn't even a quote. That was... He chose that word. There is is a real lack of studies that that have parent-child cross-reports. What the fuck are those? We never know. Who knows? This is not written for the lay audience. Now, what the the study itself, though, is... Like, I actually really like the study... Yeah, I think and it's super interesting. And what they're trying to, or what they're trying to prove and show, I think is really interesting. And I think it's super important considering yeah. how, and they mentioned this in the article, which I thought was really cool, how they mentioned that like going into this kind of research, it's generally just assumed that parents can accurately convey their political uh, ideology to their children, and then children strive to be like their parents in that way. Or they actively strive to not be like them. To be the opposite, yeah. But- what is assumed is that parents are accurately communicating what their political ideology is to the children. And this paper went in and said, actually, that's not true. What I thought was the most interesting sentence here is that, moreover, the generally held view has been that parent-child agreement on political orientations is the norm. That for the most part, the assumptions has always been that whatever political belief the parent has, the child will also have. Yeah. But that this is now saying, well, that's not true. And all these the previous studies and previous research on these topics now comes into maybe a bit of question. Like we need to change how we're working with this because we've been making a big assumption that may not actually be true. And what I also think is really interesting is that the reason they thought it was true was because the parents and the children did agree on average. Yes. But they thought they disagreed. That's what I think is really cool. Yes. Like the parents, the children think they're being like hard rebels and being like, I don't vibe with my parents, man. I'd do something different. But it's like, no, you just, you just think your parents are, uh, not have different political beliefs than they actually have. And now you're both doing the same thing. The flip side of this is, or not the flip side, but the add on to that is that kids aren't good at identifying what the political beliefs and values of their parents are. Or parents yes. are just really bad at actually explaining it to them. Well, and then there's a, there's an almost like philosophical argument there of that if the if someone who knows you quite well is looking at what you're doing and saying and saying these are your values, do they then become your values because that's what your actions show? Like you can say that you're in favor of this all you want, but if all your actions are going against that, maybe that's not your value. Maybe you just think it is. Interesting, but not part of this paper. Not part of it, but think... No. Think about it, you people Just at think home. About think it. about it. Just think about it. I did think it was really interesting that they did they did clarify that one of the indicators of actual like a, both agreement between parent and child and understanding of proper political like of like views um, was a more politicized household. So yeah. a household that talks more about politics is more likely to have the children actually understanding properly what their parents' political beliefs are, which to me just sounds like... Total sense. Yeah. Exactly. That also is like, you know, 
the taboo topic that you never bring up at Thanksgiving is politics. I hate that. You know, it's like, well, no wonder no one's no one's talking about no, it because they no. don't want to have the conflict. I rarely go on rants. I'm going on a very brief rant here. I hate when people say, well, let's not bring politics into this or let's keep politics out of blank. Politics is in every part of your life. Yeah. Everything that you're annoyed about, everything that you're glad about in your life usually comes down to politics in one way or another. It is a huge part of your life. If you're not thinking about it, someone else is going to and then they're going to get their way and you won't. Yeah. So think about politics. Talk about politics. It is important. It is. I agree. I hate it though. One other thing I want to mention that I that I'd liked what? um is how they bring up about the article specifically and the paper, but how they bring up that this is this whole research and paper is designed to be like a baseline, um, like a first step. I really enjoy when that's drawn attention to that this isn't, you know, hey, we've made a discovery and that's all the discoveries we need to make and we're done here and you know this is a major leap forward and it's like no science is always a slow steady progression and i appreciate that they kind of touch on that i did i did also like the fact that they very clearly pointed out when their data comes from which is the yeah. 70s 80s mm-hmm. and 2000s right and because they were drawing from they were drawing from pre-existing studies and re-examining the data again i'd love to know what parent child cross reports are i th- Oh, and the other thing I thought was really cool and will be a really cool future study when they do it is looking at how children impact their parents. Yes. Yeah. That was yes. political views. However, again, again, that was a bit more of jargony because when they were like, it's increasingly prevalent in first generation families. And I was like, first generation what? And then I realized it meant like first generation immigrant families, like new new to the states. I saw that as well, and I was like, yeah, first generation of humans. First generation. <laughs> of- also, also, it should be mentioned that this is research done in the United States, so this isn't Canadian families. Yeah. This is U.S. families. And if you go to this, if you go to this paper, you'll notice that from the giant American. Yeah, the, the first and the and the donkey and the the donkey and the elephant. And the elephant. Yeah. Our third paper of the episode comes from Discover Magazine. Scientists found a caterpillar that thrives when eating plastic. As one of more than 50 known species of plastivores, or plastic-eating organisms, researchers hope the greater wax moth caterpillar will help provide us with a great starting point to model how to effectively biodegrade plastic. I dug this article quite a bit. Me too. The title's a bit clickbaity because I think if you just read the title, the title of the actual article is Scientists Found a Caterpillar That Eats Plastic Could Have Helped Solve Our Plastic Crisis. Short answer, no long answer maybe it is a little clickbaity i like that they at least include the word help yes rather than just saying could it solve i would wager that most people see this headline see the article like their the initial take is that we're going to take a whole ton of these caterpillars and we're going to go dump them on a whole bunch of plastic waste and they're going to eat all the plastic waste and we're done that's this is huge flashbacks to that mealworm article we did two episodes ago yeah um, well long time ago yes we also talked about uh other things that eat plastic and it's these are not going to just eat all of our plastic away no but i love the fact that they say that they do in the article itself in the article itself they absolutely say it but if you don't read the article which you know it's the internet so who's doing that yes they could have had a better title you might think that oh we'll just use worms to eat all the plastic i mean i didn't even see this article i didn't even think to scroll down I just read the title. That's it. Well, this is why we do this podcast. You don't have to read articles because reading's for nerds. Because save the reading for professionals. Yeah, why read when you can listen? (laughs) Anyways, can I can I take point on this one for the start? Because I'm really I really loved it. 
fine. I, I, it was super cool to read through this and just see how well this addressed all the issues that I had had with that other article that was about the mealworms eating the plastic because they really do go in and they say, hey, we found these these worms, they go through the larva, they eat plastic because plastic is made up of like hydrofluorocarbons, which is the same kind of thing that is their normal food, which is bee wax, which is super neat. So it's something that they're naturally already going to eat and plastic works. Um, and I I liked that. Uh, 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 She's tailspinning. She's tailspinning. Save her. No, Someone. From, from a, a biology f- standpoint. No, you had your chance. From a biology Fuck standpoint. Off. I'm not done yet. <laughs> Why are you so mean to me? We're huge assholes because we're very insecure about our own selves. The floor is yours. But I did think it was very good that they were like, yeah, they eat these, they eat the plastic. But also it takes them like a week to eat a matchbook size square of plastic bags for 60 wax worms. And they're like, yeah, the plastic, the the worms aren't going to solve it. Instead, it's the, the worms and their gut bacteria working together that are going to teach us how to better biodegrade plastic. And like, oh, good. Actually using these things as a source to get rid of plastic is is probably not that realistic. What do you mean probably not? It's, it's definitely not realistic. Okay, it's definitely not realistic. They tell you that in the article. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, it's, it's not something you're going to do. What they're trying to do is figure out, well, how do these things digest plastic? And how can we replicate that? How can we replicate that so we can create a, a giant blue whale that eats plastic? No. How can we create a system like within our recycling plants to degrade plastic in a functional way? A genetically modified giant plastic eating T-Rex Okay, is, I think, the most reasonable option here. <laughs> Which, for those who don't know, is incidentally the plot of the next jurassic world movie yeah and I see. uh an example of what is referred to as biomimicry which is where you take you basically let nature do the r&d for you yep you, rather than develop a rework the wheel and develop your own in, solution we just look for an animal or plant that's already solved whatever the problem is and then use them as a template to figure out how to develop the best possible solution yeah let let, yeah. let the millions of years of evolution figure that shit out for you yeah. There is probably a bug that is doing whatever you want to do better than you are. Yep. Yeah. I do I do like how they bring up though in addition to all this the importance of reducing plastic waste. Yes. And how they mention there's like good news and how uh always always the best news in my opinion any anytime China does something right in this case China saying that it would enact uh similar or measures to get rid of things like plastic, plastic bag distribution and all that. Anytime China or India does something like this, it's always good because unless unless China and India do it, it really doesn't matter. <laughs> that's not that's not entirely true, but like when China or India do something, it has a massive impact on on the world versus when, you know, Andorra does something. Shout out to my boys in Andorra. Yep. <laughs> if you're listening to this from Andorra, tweet at us at our science pod on Twitter. Send us your credit card information. Credit card information. Alan no yeah if you're from andorra send us your credit card information and uh we'll give you a shout out on the next episode bold of you to think that anyone in andorra has enough money to make it worth it if they did they probably would have left they would have left andorra <laughs> why do you hate andorra? I don't hate andorra actually i love andorra it's like my favorite country because it's just just kicking it all right yeah, i can't argue with that shout out to andorra things, send us your things i never knew about ian his favorite country is andorra not my favorite country it's one of my favorite countries what's your favorite country france <laughs> wow that's a bold take actually I, I fucking love france man you would 
anyways, back to the article. I think it was really, really interesting that they addressed the fact that both the caterpillar itself eats plastic, but it also has microbits in its gut that can live off of plastic for over a year. But neither of them do as well at just digesting plastic on their own. It's a symbiotic relationship between the caterpillar and its gut microbes that is the most efficient way at digesting and biodegrading plastic, which I thought was super yeah. cool that they addressed. So if we can figure out a way to do that without needing four billion caterpillars, this would be that would be way easier because then you could actually find a way to get rid of this plastic. Really, you think that you think that you think that would be easier? You think it'd be easier to find up a, a synthetic way to do this rather than breed four point four million? No, I've I've already said the easiest the easiest thing to do is a giant T Rex eating plastic. <laughs> yeah, but what would you gonna do with all the giant T Rex shit? I mean, I'm more interested in what happens when the T Rex then turns into a moth. <laughs> which I think it would based on how this works. Then it's just Mothra. As, as we all as we all know, the That's the origin um, of Mothra. Yeah. Because of the cause of metamorphosis in insects is their plastic digesting gut well, microbes. No, because you're taking moth DNA, you fool. Oh, okay. <laughs> you didn't even did you not even watch the movie? Life totally no. uh 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 finds a way. Yeah, finds a way to eat plastic and turn to Mothra. Yeah. Uh yeah. Okay. But actually it's neat that it's a symbiotic relationship in that way and that they're working together to uh, most efficiently biodegrade the plastic. And of the 50 organisms that they said they found that are plastivores, most of those are microbes or like single cell bacteria that are just digesting plastic on their own. So it's really interesting to find out that worms that are eating them also have the bacteria that eats it. So now I want to know if mealworms also have gut microbes it's really cool it's don't they bring up that waxworms potentially survive better on plastic than they do on their current food which is yes. really fascinating yes they thrive um, yeah. on it some of the gut bacteria well they said the gut bacteria does i don't know if the worms yeah do. not the worms and, some of the, okay, gut bacteria. Just the gut bacteria and don't they mention don't they mention that it, they can essentially just survive on the plastic like yep yes like it pretty much accounts for their entire diet well that's because their normal diet is just beeswax yep. yeah which is just weird it's, why, aren't we, why aren't we replacing plastic with beeswax? Because apparently it's the same thing. Well, we kind of are. That's, that's, what, that's the lesson I'm taking from this. The problem is that the bees are also fucked. And they have their own separate problems. And therefore, we cannot co-opt the bees into wax production for plastic scale production. It's going to be weird 10 years from now when the Hungry Hungry Caterpillar book involves a caterpillar eating a used condom. <laughs> no. Because they... Because they update that book every year, as we yeah. all know. Oh, yeah. You haven't got the 12th edition <laughs> Regular, yet? <laughs> regularly updated <laughs> Hungry Hungry Caterpillar book. God damn it. Oh, I don't have to Photoshop that, do I? Yes. I really yeah. don't I want you, to. You, you, you actually don't. You you are not required to. Okay. I probably You will because then. you're bored and have nothing to do right. with your life at this point. Like and now you're going to tweet that. That's going to be the promo photo for this episode is a caterpillar no, eating condom. No text involved. Just, <laughs> just caterpillar eating condoms. Don't worry about it. However, to be fair, pretty sure that condoms are the wrong kind of plastic. I, I'm 100% sure the, pla the condoms are the wrong kind of plastic. So... Not the right I'll thing. To, I'll have to put a note in in the tweet. I'll have to say. Maybe, maybe have it eating a dildo? That's still the wrong kind of plastic, man. Anyways, this was an exciting article because it was so well written. However, you know what? We should be expecting that kind of stuff from Discover Magazine. I was like, man, why is this so well written? And then I looked at the source and I was like, because it's a freaking somebody. Who, whoever wrote this is an actual like 
journalist oh, article yeah. writer. Like they know what they're doing. Wow, every all these articles are written by a guy called Eric. You're not wrong. That's why I can't get a job. My name's Ian. God yeah, idiot. Well, oh no, that's the that's the side post again. I thought literally they were all Eric. That side post again. I just did. No, just two of the articles are made. Yeah, made by... this... There we go. Sixty-six percent of our articles are written by. They Eric. They were all Eric. Are they actually? Yeah, they were all Eric. I'm so happy. Seriously? Every single article we talked about today was written by a guy called Eric. No, a different Eric each time, though. They're all different Erics. I will not say their last names so we don't dox them. Have we have we seen them all in the same room at the same time? That's true. I don't I don't know. I'm assuming they're all different Erics. It's either really lazy pen names. Yeah. That's actually super weird. Yeah. Welcome to the Eric episode. That is all the time we have today. If you would like to hear more of our plastic-free content, then you can check us out on iTunes, Spotify, and a bunch of other places that we have the podcast up. You'll figure it out. You're listening to it now, so you'll figure it out. You're smart. Check Twitter for our shit. Yeah, you can check us out on Twitter at OurSciencePod on Twitter. That's O-U-R SciencePod on Twitter. And as always, we are a division of Science Everywhere, an events and media company located in Toronto. You can check them out at scienceeverywhere.ca. And also on Twitter and Instagram at WhereIsScience on both of those platforms. Feel free to like, comment, and subscribe on wherever you listen. And you can always leave us messages, uh, positive feedback. If you have negative feedback, uh, you can fuck off. But uh, if you have positive feedback, let us know on Twitter at our science pod. need validation. Uh, For Ian and Katie, I was your host, Alan Collier. We thank you for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Don't go anywhere because you're not allowed to. (laughs) Stay inside. (laughs) You diseased idiots. All right.